You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Well, good morning. I'm Dan Nelson, and I want to share some scripture with you. Would you please stand as I read? If you want to follow along, it's on page 822. It will be on the screens, but it's from Matthew chapter 16. It's probably a, a familiar passage to many of you. Matthew tells us, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Please be seated. I'm going to take a moment and pray for some uh, missionaries that we support. Uh, we aren't doing it right now, obviously, but uh, when you give, either online or put it in the box back there, um, we have a variety of missionaries we support literally all over the world. And the McLeod family is one of those missionaries. They are at, uh, they work for with crew uh, in Boston at Harvard. And so they've got an interesting situation just to be there. And then given kind of the craziness of our world as well. But they've asked us to pray for them this week uh, that uh, the people they talk to, they would, they would have opportunity and that the people they get to talk to would have some soft hearts. Uh, Pat and Tammy are the parents. They've got a six-member family there. Uh, they're just asking for lifted spirits because they've been uh, discouraged and frustrated trying to do ministry in a, in a tougher place than original. Uh, they've asked for prayers for virtual outreach because they don't get to see people as often uh, as they used to. And so how do you connect with people online? And then they work with something called the Mammaloid Initiative in South Africa. And what that consists of is oversimplifying a little bit, but working with underprivileged, low-income kids who typically in that setting don't get educated. And so they fall off the edges of things and get left behind in a variety of ways. And so they're asking for prayer to be able to, you know, share the gospel with them and also to be able to help them find ways to be educated and to not get lost in the turmoil of things. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the McLeods and their willingness to, uh, to work with a, a group of folks that, that it's a challenge sometimes. And so we lift up these requests to you, Lord, for soft hearts and lifted spirits, uh, for ability to reach out in new ways, and for folks in South Africa as they work with them as well to uh, connect with them and share with them and encourage them. And so, God, we pray that you would protect the McLeods and encourage them and offer ways uh, maybe that they haven't even thought of yet, but to reach out and, and do good things in your name. God, we are reminded of them that uh, just because they're on crew in a special place, uh, they're not the only missionaries we are. 
And so we need to be reminded sometimes that um, that's part of who you have called us to be as well. God, we pray this morning as Keith speaks that he would um, speak what you want him to speak and that we would hear your word. And so thank you for this time and place to gather. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hello again. We are uh, in this sermon series, so if you're new to Meadowbrook, don't worry, you're not going to be lost. Uh, I want to share a story about an individual, then we're going to dive into the scriptures a little bit, and, um, and just, you know, I want to try to help you make sense of what you just experienced with the baptisms, and, and you know, what is it, you know, who's Jesus, and, and what does it mean to, to, to follow him? So we've been doing this sermon series uh, titled, Here I Stand. And we've been looking at these different, I call them five tenets uh, of, of, the, uh, of our faith, of the Protestant Reformation, why, why it matters, and why, does it, why is it relevant now? Uh, and that is simply this. And, and so we're, we're in the, the fourth week of the sermon series, but so far we looked at uh, the scriptures. So that was the first week that that it is the scriptures, the Bible alone, that is the authority over the church and over the life of the individual. That it's not through popes or councils or organizations. It is the scriptures alone that speak into our lives. That's why uh, today, it may have been new to you, uh, when we did the scripture reading, we asked that everybody stand because here at Meadowbrook Church, we really believe that the words in this book are 100% true. We believe it. And, uh, and, and so I really feel as a pastor that the best, like, the best thing I have to offer you or Meadowbrook uh, is what's in this book, not, not thoughts and ideas, but just what's in this book. And my role is to help teach it and explain it. Uh, so the scriptures alone, and that's salvation, that is the forgiveness of our sins and the ability to stand before God and be, to be led into heaven is by grace alone, that there's nothing that we can bring to God, there's not enough good deeds that we can do, we can't go to church enough, we can't read the Bible enough, can't pray enough to make it so that when we die and we stand before God, that he is obligated to let us into his, he into his kingdom, into his heaven because of the stuff that we did. The, the, the reality is, is that we can't do enough. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and we fall short of meeting God's standard. And, and so that it is by grace alone that a person is saved. Well, how do you receive that grace? Well, it's through faith. Faith, that's the only thing you bring to God is faith. I, okay, I, I don't know all the, all the theological answers to all my questions. I don't, I, don't, I don't know all that stuff, but what I do know is, and what I do believe, and I don't, I don't know if I can even make sense of this, is that God, you're real, and that, that, that your son, you sent your son to die in my place for my sins. And the reason why I believe that's true is because he not only died, but he rose on the third day. And, and so the tomb is empty, and therefore I believe it. By faith, by faith, we receive the grace of God. And, and where is that faith placed in? In Christ alone. Not my works, not my deeds, but in Jesus alone, period. That he lived the perfect life that I could never live. That he died the death 
that you and I uh, deserve. Like when he went to that cross, he, he took on our sins and hung on that cross and endured the wrath of God because here's the reality, that God is perfect. He's perfectly just. He's perfectly good. I said this earlier in the sermon series that the only being in all of the universe that does not need to improve upon himself is God. He doesn't need to get better at being good. He doesn't need to get better at loving people. He doesn't need to be, get better at being just or being holy. You know who has to get better at that stuff? We do, right? Like, I need to get better at being good. I need to get better at loving others. Like, how many of you had to teach your children to be dishonest? Nobody. How many of you had to teach your children to be honest? To share? To be kind? <laughs> Why? Because we're jacked up as creatures. Like, there's something wrong with us, right? And so God in his love sent his son, his, one, his only begotten son, to die in our place for our sins. And so I've been talking about this uh, for the last four weeks, and, and we've been looking at different individuals in church history, and just I share a little bit of their story just to share why, why it is that you have a Bible in English today, <laughs> um, and why we believe what we uh, believe. You know, I we have a Bible in English because somebody like William Tyndale said, you know what, it's dumb that people have to either learn Latin to, to read the Bible for themselves or to be dependent upon somebody to, to tell them what the Bible says. They should be able to read the Bible in their own language. And so William Tyndale translated the Bible from the original languages into, into English. Martin Luther translated the Bible in Germany from its original languages into German so that the common people could read it. Uh, Martin Luther had to go into hiding and change his name because the church wanted to murder him for that. The, the Roman Catholic Church of that day wanted to murder him for that because, because to give the scriptures in, a, in the, the language of the people so they could read it for themselves meant something. It meant that, one, they would discover what the Bible teaches, and two, it would mean that they would see stuff that was happening in that day and age that didn't line up with the scriptures that was coming out of the church. So... Uh, but William Tyndale paid with his life. They locked him up, and they, they put him in a tower, and then they led him out, tied him to a stake, wrapped gunpowder around his body, and lit him on fire and then blew him up. Why? Because he believed that the Bible should be able to be read in English or in the language of the people. And we looked at other guys. We looked at, a couple weeks ago, we looked at a guy by the name of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, who, who God used uh, in Europe to, to fan the flames of the Protestant Reformation. And, and they, too, were locked up and, and put uh, in prison for a time and then tied to the stake and then lit on fire. In fact, um, uh, Thomas Cranmer was a friend of theirs, and he was locked up with them. And he was forced to watch. He had to watch his friends be led to the stake where they were tied up and, and gunpowder was uh, put around, I believe, their neck, and they were lit on fire. Why? Because they believed that the scriptures alone were the authority of the church and over life and conduct, and that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. And it wasn't that, it wasn't that the church of that day, the Catholic church of that day, didn't believe that, it was, that Jesus was the way you got saved or or that it was by grace that you were saved, or that it was through faith that you were saved. But there was a, there, the, main, the major difference between the, and this is not, a, I'm not poo-pooing the Roman Catholic Church, I'm just telling you history. The main difference between the, the Roman Catholic Church of that day, and even today, and, and Protestants, is simply, it boils down to one word. 
And that one word is alone. It is the scriptures alone, not popes, that are the authority of the church. It is grace alone, not anything that I bring in faith alone, or through faith alone, in Christ alone, period. And the danger or the temptation is to hear about these stories of how these men and women died bravely for their faith and think, oh, they were super Christians. Like, I can't do that. Like, they had the super Christian cape and the logo. They were seriously, the reality is that they were really flawed individuals. And William Kramer is an example of somebody who loved Jesus so much but was also a flawed person. He had blind loyalty. He had given blind loyalty to Henry VIII who wanted to annul his marriage and the Roman Catholic Church wouldn't do it. They said, that's sin. And so he turned to uh, Protestants and he said, well, I, I know what I'll do. Is I'll be the head of the English church in, Euro- in Europe. It w- later is known to be the Anglican church. And then uh, and I'll just do what I want to do. And Thomas Kramer had bl- blind loyalty to Henry VIII. And, and uh, out of his first marriage, he had a daughter. He didn't have a son. He had a daughter. And that's why he wanted to divorce his first wife is because he, he wanted an heir for the throne and he didn't want that heir to be a female. And so that was Mary. And uh, because of, and I don't know if it's directly or how much and how involved Thomas Kramer was, but the reality is, is that Mary attributed blame, part of the blame, to Thomas Kramer as to why she was considered and deemed an illegitimate child of the king. So after several marriages, Henry, Henry VIII eventually had a son. His name was Edward, Edward VI, I believe. Edward, uh, Henry died, Henry VIII died, and Edward became king at the age of 10. Some of you, several of you are baptized today, are 10 years old. This kid, this kid became king at the age of 10, loved Jesus, and really uh, and did a lot for uh, the Protestant Reformation, and then he died at the age of 16. He only lived six years. And you know who became king next, or queen? Mary. And she was responsible. She heard her, her desire. Part of it, I think, was a lot of anger towards Thomas Kramer and how she was treated by those who identified as Protestants. Um, or Protestants, those who were protesting against the church, she wanted to purge Europe from the Reformation and, and deliver Europe back to the Roman Catholic Church. And the way she thought the best way to do that was by burning as many Protestants as possible. And, uh, and so she was later given a nickname, and her nickname was Bloody Mary. Yeah, and, uh, and it was under her reign of terror that Thomas Kramer was sentenced to death. Now, and his friends died. And so here, you've got to understand, with Thomas Kramer, he, he was alone after his friends died. He felt sick. He was hungry. He was cold. All those things. And he was, and he was ridiculed. And he was asked to sign what they would call a, uh, a statement to recant, to deny what he believed. And he did that multiple times, thinking that that would result in his life being spared. And it wasn't. Uh, and I'll talk about that a little later. But the, he was responsible for doing two things. This is why I want to share his story. Uh, one, he helped author the 39 Articles, which was a statement of faith for all the, the, the churches, the Protestant churches in Europe, to say, hey, this is what the fundamentals of the faith are. This is what brings us together. It's what we, what we read in scriptures. And then the other thing that he, was, he helped co-author is another book called The Book of Common Prayer. Anybody heard, heard of that before? All right, so this is all you need to know about that. Remember, for hundreds and hundreds of years, the church 
uh, was like an empire, and worship services were in a certain language, Latin, and uh, the literacy was, you know, people's ability to read was very low, um, so they, will, they would go to a worship service, and they would receive the worship. Well, how would they receive it? They would hear the priest lead worship. It would be in a language they, not, they didn't understand. And uh, the, the scriptures were taught in a way that they probably couldn't wrap their minds around. And, and so what Thomas Kramer did is he, he put together this book called the Book of Common Prayer, and it's called a liturgy. And, and basically he said, you know what, people should not have to receive worship. They should be able to participate in worship. And what, so what uh, William Tyndale did for the uh, English Bible, uh, Thomas Kramer did for our order of worship. Every church, every Protestant church, every Catholic church, guess what, has a liturgy, has an order of worship. We do. Like, we meet, we have a staff meeting. I meet with Jonathan, uh, who leads worship, and we, we, I share with him what I'm preaching on. In fact, I give that to him weeks in advance as to what I plan on doing in the weeks to come, and, and he knows what scripture passages I'll be preaching on, and he picks the songs that we sing for the worship service. Uh, we include certain elements in the worship service to, to, for, to, to put together a certain theme so that from the b- moment you walk into the building to the moment you leave, you, you sang songs that were you know, in line with what I was preaching on. Uh, we did things together as a community in line of what I was preaching on. There was a theme. And the idea or the hope is that you walk out of here getting that theme. That's a liturgy. Every church has one. Even churches that say they don't have one, they have one. Um, there's an or, organ, they organize a worship service in a certain way. Why did these guys uh, feel so passionate about the way we ought to be able to worship and the, and the fact that we should have a Bible in our language that we could read and study for ourselves? Why did they feel this way? Because they understood that it was Christ alone that was the foundation of the church. Not popes, but Christ. And so, which brings me to this passage that uh, you heard read and that you were were able to read along. Uh, In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked the question, he said, hey, who do people say that I am? What are people saying? And then the disciples answered. They said, well, some say John the Baptist reincarnated because John the Baptist had his head cut off for saying some bad things about the king, King Herod. Um, And and so he said, "But, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, well, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Peter, or Jesus said to Peter, well, flesh and blood didn't reveal this, reveal this to you. It isn't because you, you know, you're top of the class that you, you got this right, Peter. In fact, you know you're not top of the class. You wound up being a fisherman. Um, and, and so, which wasn't like a bad thing necessarily, but if you were a follower of a rabbi, it was because you were able to memorize large portions of the Old Testament and recite things that, that allowed you to follow the rabbi or that a rabbi would ask you. He said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. And then he said something really interesting, and this is, this is what caused, uh, this is one of the passages in the Bible that caused Protest, or people who protested, that's where we get Protestant from, protested, said, wait, 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 this is not talking about popes, this is talking about something else. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, the flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are, he said, I'm going to give you a new name, and your name is Petra, Peter. What, you know what that means? Stone. That's literally what it means. Your name is Stone. How many of you want to be named Stone? Um, now, some of you might know a Peter, like, I'm going to make fun of that person now. 
Um, stone. That's what literally in Greek it means, stone. And upon, upon this, Petros is what Jesus says. This, this rock, I will build my church. What is he talking about? Well, the Roman Catholic Church said, no, he's talking about Peter and every person after Peter who's the Pope, that, that that's the authority that the church is built upon, is on the Pope. But, but when you read this passage, people who were able to read it for themselves said, no, no, no. The foundation by which the church is built upon is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He, he is who he claimed to be. And that is what the church is built upon. And so I'm going to just share three points in, in my sermon uh, with you. And the, and the first is simply this, is that, is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Christ, meaning he is the Messiah. Um, you know, everybody's got an idea or a, a, an opinion about Jesus nowadays, right? Nowadays. When John Lennon couldn't think of anybody greater, he said, of the Beatles, the Beatles are more popular than Jesus, right? Um, when uh, the Doobie Brothers, anybody know who the Doobie Brothers is? Okay, like one, two, three, okay, good. Uh, they sing a song, Jesus is what? Is just all right, right? And then, and then uh, Bono from U2, uh, who is uh, a Christian, was being awarded at one of the awards, music awards, and he, I guess he was just kind of put off by the number of artists that thank Jesus for this award or thank God for this award, and he said... He said, uh, uh, I bet God is looking down and saying right now, don't thank me for that, <laughs> which I thought was pretty comical. Um, I like you too. Uh, but Jesus is the Christ. He is, he is who he claimed to be. Not who you think he is, but who he claimed to be. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Nobody. Not through prayers, not through religious duty, but through him alone, period, not through saints. And then the second point is he's the rock. He's the rock. When Peter said, you are the Messiah, Jesus said, that's the foundation I'm going to build my church on, that I am the Messiah. There's a reason, think about this, there's a reason why Bloody Mary and others who come after her and who came before her, like Emperor Nero, uh, we're not able to wipe Christianity from the map or from the world. And that is not because of who is leading the church, individuals or pastors. It is because Christ is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. He is, listen, I, and this is why this is so timely. He is the president of presidents. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords, period. Um, and that's never going to change. It's never going to change, regardless of who's in power. In America, like who, regardless if Donald Trump gets reelected or Biden gets elected, the reality is Jesus is king. And that should, be, that should bring us some level of comfort for those of us who, who believe and follow him. He is king. Um, pretty soon, I mean, like, it's just, now, I mean, we're reminded of this every time we go to Sam's Club or Costco or now Lowell's or what, do you, what are we seeing in stores now? Christmas decorations, right? And then pretty soon you're going to be getting cards, and on the cards you're going to read certain verses. Those verses aren't because it's Christmas. They don't exist because it's Christmas. They exist because they're in the Bible, um, like verses like this. Let's read this together. Ready? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, 
everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And here's the Messiah part coming. This is the King, the President of Presidents part, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords part. Ready? Let's read it together. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It leads me to my third, the third point in this passage. And this is what everybody who was baptized in this service and the service before it, our second worship service, we had four who were baptized, that when you believe in Jesus, I'm not just talking about intellectual belief, like, oh, you read it in the Bible, therefore, okay, the facts make sense to me. I'm talking about belief. You know, you know what I mean by that? The, the kind of belief that there's action behind it, like the action that it took for you to walk into this auditorium and you sat in a chair. How many of you brought your wrench or your screwdriver to make sure that all the bolts and screws were in place before you sat in the chair? Nobody. Why? Because not only did you look at the chair and say, yes, that looks like it will hold me up, but what did you do? You sat your butt down in the chair, believing it was going to hold you up. That's the kind of belief that the, the, the Bible talks about. It's the kind of belief like, I believe Jesus lived the life that I could never live, that he died the death that I know I deserve. He died on the cross in my place. On the third day, he rose from the grave. Not only do I believe that with my mind, but I am leaning into that. Like, that is life to me. I believe that. I, don't, I, I can't make complete sense of all of that, but in light of the craziness of our world and, 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 and the fickleness of my own heart, that makes the most sense, and I believe it. That, he, that, that believing that will mean there are implications to believing that. Like Jesus, Jesus isn't some sky fairy in the sky who answers your prayers and gives you what you want. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. Like him coming to, being born of a virgin, dying this, living this perfect life on earth that we can't live, and, and, and dying the death that we deserve. Like all of that is an, was an expression of God's love for you and for me. Like Jesus said, like you, you want to know why? You want to know why I'm here? This is why. He was telling Nicodemus this. He said, because for God, what? So loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? everlasting life. Yeah. Um, that's why. And so, so Jesus, after Peter gives this awesome answer, and this, this was the right answer, and, and Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, and I'm going to prove it in just a second because of what you're about to say. Uh, Peter had a habit of putting his foot in his mouth. Um, he, he, so Jesus, in verse 21, he says, at this time, Jesus began to show his disciples uh, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, the religious leaders of his day, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Now, Jesus said that multiple times. I'm going to die, but don't worry. They only heard the dying, the horrible death part. And so, so what happened? Well, Peter said, not on my watch. You're not dying. Nobody's going to hurt you. He kind of said the same thing right before Jesus was betrayed. Like Jesus said, you're going to betray me. You're going to walk away. You're going to deny me. And Peter said, nuh-uh, not me. Uh, you, even if they take my life, I'm not going to deny you. And then what happened? Peter denied them, right? Like, while he was out waiting to see what was going to happen with Jesus' trial, somebody said, hey, you're, you're Peter. 
like, you belong to those guys who follow Jesus. He said, nope, that's not me. And he did that three times. And he denied the Lord. And then, God, and then Jesus restored him later on. That's a whole other sermon. But the point is, is that, uh, is that Jesus said, I'm going to die. And in the same conversation where he said, I am the Christ, and on this rock the church will be built, he says something staggering here. And, and, and this is why, one of the reasons why we do baptisms, um, and not just because it's in the Bible and we're told to do it, but it's because of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. And this is what he said, ready? Let's read it together. Here we go. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? Do you know what Jesus is saying there? He's saying, look, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, that you place in me, Christ alone, that a person is saved. But, but as a result of doing that, it will change your life. Like, like by, by believing in Jesus, Jesus will make demands over your life. You know why? This is, this, because he knows, he knows uh, what's the, the best way to live life. Like I said this in the, like when I said in the first sermon in this series, like the Bible is not God's way of killing your joy. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation, is God's way to maximize your joy. Like you, the, God, the God who spoke everything into existence, who created all things, uh, who, who made you in his image, knows something about joy and what it means to live. And, and so when Jesus said, look, if you're going to believe in me, then you must follow me. And by following me, because if you really believe in who I claim to be, you're going to follow me. Like that's going to be the next step. There are going to be demands that I will have over your life. The things that you used to say yes to that dis displeased God, you're going to have to say no to. Uh, the things that used to bring you great joy and thinking that this is, this is life, this is, this, is, this is all that there is, it's now going to start disturbing you. It's going to start bothering you. Uh, John Newton, who wrote what? what? What did he write? The hymn, Amazing Grace. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but he was a slave trader. So far, uh, council culture has not canceled him yet. <laughs> like, they've not stopped singing Amazing Grace in churches and at funerals and everywhere else. Um, he was a slave trader. And, and actually, later in life, he said of himself, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. He was on a boat, and there was a big storm. Somebody had given him a Bible. He started reading the Bible. He started seeing that what the Bible was saying wasn't jiving with the way he was living. And uh, his, his life as a slave trader started to bother him. And, and so God started to get a hold of his heart. And he finally gave his life to Jesus. He placed his faith and trust in Jesus. He believed in, in who Jesus claimed to be. And he gave up his lifestyle of being a slave trader. And he wound up becoming a pastor. He mentored a guy by the name of William Wilberforce. Any of you hear of William Wilberforce? He was in Parliament. At the, at the, wound up being in Parliament around the same time John Newton was alive towards the end of John Newton's life. John Newton was his pastor. William Wilberforce came to him and said, you know, uh, Pastor John, I really feel like God may be calling me to be a pastor. And John Newton said, you will best serve God if you stay in Parliament and you serve God in Parliament to end the slave trade. 
And so behind the scenes, John Newton actually was, was mentoring and coaching um, William Wilberforce as he fought for years, like over, I believe over 20 years, fought to end the slave trade in Europe. Well, what happened with John Newton? He gave his life to Jesus, and you know what happened? Jesus changed his life. That's what happened. That's what will happen, uh, or what ought to happen to anybody who believes in Jesus. He'll change your life. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Because in following Jesus is where you find life. Not in, what, not in the way the world defines life. Um, and when, you know, when you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, and you find yourself thinking, man, I don't like what I'm reading, but I still want to be religious. I still call myself a Christian, but I, I, I think I just... Like Thomas Jefferson, he cut out all the miracles of Jesus in his Bible. It's called the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Um, you can find it, I'm sure, in some museum. But, but St. Augustine said this, and I just want to leave this with you. He said, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is you want what you believe but yourself. Jesus said, hey, you want life? You want you want You want You want the grace of God, you, you want salvation, then come with open hands because there's nothing you can bring. But understand that it will change your life. Like following him will have implications on your life. And not all of those implications are going to be easy. The disciples, like all, all except for John, died horrible, violent death. That doesn't mean... If you're a follower of Jesus today in America, you're going to die a horrible, violent death. But what it does mean is that sometimes following Jesus is not easy. You have family members who don't like what you're doing. Uh, you, you will have friends who won't, will want nothing to do with you. Um, Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, look, some of you they will kill. I don't know if he was being nice and not, instead of saying, hey, every single one of you except for John are going to die horrible, violent deaths. He didn't say that. He said, some of you they will kill. And when he was looking at the disciples, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure he, 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 thought he knew what they were going to experience. Like Peter would eventually, under the reign of Emperor Nero, would be crucified upside down. Uh, other disciples, one of them would be, would be flayed. I'm not even going to go into details about that because we have kids in here. But it was just horrible, violent death. And he said, some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. Well, what did he mean? He meant that your salvation is the most important thing. Uh, like, that's the thing that's going to last. Empires will rise, empires will fall. God will set kings up, he will dispose, depose kings. But what will last for eternity is, is that Jesus is the president of presidents, the king of kings and lord of lords, and that if your faith and trust is in him, if you believe in him as the one who lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you deserved and rose on the third day, then your salvation is sure, meaning it is forever. Some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will perish. Here's another way to say it, and it's my favorite verse, and those who attend Meadowbrook regularly know this because you hear me say it a lot. Um, it's Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is what? No condemnation, no wrath, no judgment that will wind, will, will wind up with you being in hell. There is therefore no condemnation for all those whose faith and trust is in Jesus Christ, period. That's the greatest news in the universe. 
That's what motivated Thomas Kramer and William Tyndale and John Wycliffe and Martin Luther to stand up and protest because they said, you know what, the world, the world doesn't, they don't know this because at that time, the organization that said it was the church was hiding it from them. said, the world doesn't know this. They need to know it. So I just want to end with uh, Thomas Kramer. Like he, he was mortified that he signed those documents saying that he didn't believe what he really believed. And so they uh, forced him, they made him stand before, uh, uh, I think the weather was bad, so they made him stand before, a, a, I believe, a packed church to read something that was scripted for him. And it was, you know, I think he was hoping that he would, have, that he would be able to, to escape death by fire. I mean, nobody likes to die by fire, right? Like, that's a horrible way to die. And so he stood up, and he had decided before standing up, he said, no, this time I am not, I am not going to lie. I'm going to explain exactly what I believe, even if that means death. And this is what he said. He said, and now I come to the great thing that troubles my conscience more than any other thing that I said or did in my life, and that is the setting abroad uh, of writing contrary to the truth which I thought in my heart and written for fear of death and to save my life if it might be. Meaning, he said, the reason why I signed those documents saying I didn't believe that salvation was by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone any longer, the reason why I signed those documents that said that I no longer believed that the scriptures were the authority of the church, but the Pope was actually the authority of the church. The reason why I signed those documents was because I was afraid. I was afraid, but it wasn't what I really believed in my heart. And so you want to know what I really believe in my heart? I'll tell you what I believe in my heart. I believe that it is the scriptures alone that are the authority over the church and that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone that a person is saved for the glory of God alone. He went on to say, he said, I've written, um, so I, so, and that is, well, let me see. I thought in my heart, what I thought in my heart wasn't what I actually signed. And he said, and, and written, I, I, I did this out of fear of death for the purpose of just trying to escape the fires, to, to save my life. And wherein I have written many things untrue. And he goes on to say, And for as much as my hand offended in writing contrary to my heart, therefore my hand shall be first to be punished, for if I may come to the fire, it shall be first burned. And so he, he, he said that, and then he said something really, you know, didn't help matters. He said, and as for the Pope, I refuse him as Christ's enemy and antichrist with all of his false doctrine and so far as the sacrament. And then they drug him off and they tied him to a stake. And as they lit the fires, he held his hand over the flames and he said, see, I, I put my hand out over the flames to be the first to be consumed because it is the hand that denied my Lord. And he died. On March 21st, 1556. I share that story because, you know, when you're tired and beat up and discouraged and afraid, our hearts are fickle. That's why I asked Jonathan if we could sing that hymn, the hymn that we sang right before I got up to preach. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I am constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a chain, like a fetter, Bind my wandering heart to thee.
prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Regardless of what happens in the next week, the reality that will never change is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by him. He is the Messiah. He is the President of Presidents, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords. And he promised, he promised one day he's coming back again to judge the living and the dead. I believe he's going to do that because there's an empty tomb that tells me, that tells me he's coming back. And for those of you who believe that, there's a word that we say, and that word is amen, and it means so be it. So if you believe that, would you say with me, amen? Amen. amen. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the baptisms, uh, just the, the, the kiddos that were baptized today. It's just so encouraging to my heart. I thank you for them. God, I pray that you would protect them and you'd guard them as they grow older and as, as they're tempted by their peers to maybe uh, doubt what they believe now. God, that you would keep them and hold them and, and that they will be always reminded of this day, that this is the day before their mom, before their dad, before aunts and uncles, before their peers, before those they don't know, and before those who were watching on the live stream, that they on this day said, I love Jesus and I want the world to know it, and that's why I'm being baptized. I pray for them. And uh, God, for anyone in this room who has not yet, not yet been reconciled to you, not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, for the salvation of their souls. God, I pray that they would hear these words, that all who confess that Jesus is Lord and really believe in their hearts that you, Father, raised Jesus from the grave, shall be saved. God, that you would uh, just help them hear that they don't have to have all the answers to their theological questions answered to come to you in faith for the forgiveness of their souls through Jesus alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. And for the rest of us, God, that we would never forget. As tempted as we are to forget in light of just what's coming you know, in, the, in the days to come, God, that we would remember that Jesus is the president of presidents, the king of kings and lord of lords, and one day he's coming back to claim what is his. And on that day, we will know peace the kind of peace that we've longed for since the day we breathed air for the first time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Thanks for supporting your, your, you know, your niece, nephew, son, daughter. Whatever. Thanks for coming. Uh, love that you came. If uh, you want more information about Meadowbrook Church, if you can fill out a communication card, let us know how you, know, you found out about us. Uh, we'd like to get you, you know, on our e-letter. I send out an e-letter once a week. Next week, we're celebrating communion, by the way, Meadowbrook. So next week, it's communion for the first time since the whole coronavirus thing happened. So see you next week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.